Todd, along with my wife Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we are just so thrilled that you are here with us today as we are in this Christmas season celebrating the birth of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to uh, just say as well that I uh, want to remind you again that on Tuesday night, we do have our Christmas Eve services from 3.30 and at 5 o'clock. And I want to encourage you, if you're coming, we know that a lot of you, that's your family time. You've got things you need to do. Feel free to do that. But if you're coming, I want to encourage you to invite somebody else to come and be able to participate and hear the story of the birth of Jesus and how it can change their life. Amen. Well, who here knows when we talk about Christmas, that Christmas really is supposed to be a time of celebration where we get to celebrate family, we get to celebrate uh, uh, relationships with our friends, but we also are celebrating the birth of Jesus. It is supposed to be a time of great peace, but who here knows that many times it can feel more like a time of craziness and chaos. Maybe you're experiencing a little bit of that right now. Now, I don't want anybody to raise their hand for this or to acknowledge this, but how many of you still have some Christmas shopping left to do? You can wink at me. It's okay. It's okay. You might have a, a few things left to do. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for you today. I'm going to pray that God gives you his grace because I know this, that, that there can be that panic that you experience of trying to find that last parking spot at the mall or the store. You know what I'm talking about? Where you wait and you wait for somebody else to clear the spot, and then somebody else jumps in there. Isn't that frustrating? There can be great pressure to prepare your house for the incoming guests while your kids are maybe fighting sickness, or your husband is a little bit messy, or your spouse is messy. It can create problems. Or there's that nagging sense that you can have that, that as you're sleeping, as you go to bed that, at night, that you, you think you've got it all together, but then you break into that cold sweat because you're like, ah, I think there's something that I forgot. Who here has that, that, those moments? Okay, some of you are raising your hands to everything. Should I be concerned here today with what's going on? Maybe there's that overwhelmed feeling of the pressure to prepare the perfect meal that your turkey isn't going to dry out or be undercooked. Uh, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded about a, a time in my life when I was 20 years old my mom remarried, and she's still married to this man today, and so they had just bought in a new house, she and her husband, and he had four kids of his own, and so their desire was that they would have this Christmas celebration that, that, that we all would feel like family. And so I remember that my mom had this plan that she was going to make this massive Christmas meal. Now, the funny thing about this, and I'm glad that my mother's not here, but in the 20 years of my life at the, up to that point, I don't remember having any significant Christmas dinners. That kind of wasn't her thing. And so she, but she had this vision, and so the house was decorated, the table was set, and we were waiting to eat. And of course, the, the, she was working on timing things, and so the turkey was a little bit delayed. But we finally decided, okay, the turkey's ready. Let's eat. Everything was done except for these brown sugar carrots that she was trying to cook. And I remember that we, we, she said, okay, we're, let's all just eat. I'm just going to leave them on the stove to simmer. When they're done, we'll go and check on them. Well, we got talking and laughing, and we were having a good time. Things were going great until all of a sudden, we heard this big pop, and then a thud and banging in the, the kitchen while we were like immediately stopped what we were doing. And we went into the kitchen to look, and we saw that the lid of the pot that the carrots were being cooked in had been shot all the way across the kitchen. 
And we looked on the ceiling and all the carrots were not in the pan anymore. They were stuck to the ceiling. Well, my mom was like mortified in that moment. Well, we, it was a moment that we will never forget. A moment of chaos in the midst of our celebration. You know, it doesn't matter how much we prepare. Some things don't always go the way that we plan them to, do they? Chaos is a part of life. And, and, and sometimes it's interesting for us to, to see things in the malls and, and Christmas cards on TV, this phrase that gets put out there all the time, peace on earth, peace on earth. What is peace on earth? Where does that exist? Have you ever asked yourself, where does peace really exist? Or does it really exist? Do they not see what I see? <laughs> the, I know, you caught it. The pile of bills that, that, that are sitting there that still need to be paid, that, that, that can just rob us of our peace, or the never-ending list of projects that we realize that still need to be finished. Or maybe it's even the, the, those challenging conversations that, that we know we need to have with our children, our teenager, our young adult, but we, we're just wrestling with things. We wrestle with things, and we wrestle with choices and decisions even within ourselves. Things that can rob us of peace. Do I tell my spouse what I was really doing after work? Do I, do I, do I, do I really know whether or not I'm going to have a job after Christmas? Do, do I continue to stay in this job that has been difficult and frustrating? Do I tell people the truth who probably don't want to hear the truth? And we can begin to feel so conflicted within ourselves that we don't experience peace on earth or even peace in our own hearts. I remember my last summer of high school or my last year of high school, I was heading into the summer and, and I had a decision that was placed before me that created a lot of turmoil in my life. For those who know me know that I have somebody that loves sports. I was really involved in sports and I was heading into my last year where I was going to be a part of a very uh, a winning baseball team. In fact, the year before, we had won the state championship for 16-year-olds in the state of Washington. It was, we, we were good, and, and, but it was my time. I was going to be one of the key players. I was going to be the star, and yet my youth pastor came to me in the church and said, Todd, I would, could really use your help in the youth group. Would you be willing to become a leader? Would you be willing to commit yourself to that leadership role? Well, the challenge was this, that if I chose to be a youth leader, I couldn't play baseball. I could do one or the other. I couldn't do both because of the schedule. And I remember how much turmoil was in my heart. I had a tough choice to make. In Luke chapter 1, we continue the Christmas story about the impending birth of Jesus as it is revealed to a young girl named Mary. Last week, I talked about the forerunner to this story, which is also in Luke chapter 1, about when Elizabeth and Zechariah found out they were going to have a child in their old age, something that I, I, I believe that they had probably given on, up hope on that happening. And so we, we talked about that part of the reason that we celebrate Christmas is it's not what we put our hope in, but it's who we put our hope in, and that Jesus is the hope of our salvation, that Jesus is who we can trust for every part of our life. But as we move on into this story, we have the story about Mary and 
Joseph and where she discovers that she is going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. I bet she was a little conflicted. I bet there was some chaos that went inside of her heart as we hear what happened in this story. In Luke chapter 1, if you turn there with me in your Bible, we're going to start in verse 26, and I'm going to read this story, this account in the Gospel of Luke. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. I love this part. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. You know, there is news that you get in your life, and then there is news. You know, sometimes we, we face things that change our life and our world forever. Some of it can be very good. Some of it can be difficult or tragic in our life. We've all experienced news like this. I remember like it was yesterday when I was eight years old. I was eight years old that I heard proclaimed from my mom as I was playing out in the playground in our apartment building that we lived in at that time that I was now, un- that I had now Uh, become a big brother again. That my stepmom had given birth to a son who I didn't even know at the time was pregnant. But here I was on the playground of the apartment complex we're living when I heard that I'd had this new brother. Now inside of me I was excited, but at the same time a bit torn as I wondered what that could really mean for my sister and I as my dad had a completely brand new family. My questions raced through my mind. Who would my brother look like? Would, he, would, would, I, would I like him? I was pretty sure that I would. But I wasn't sure would he like me. Would he be cool as he got bigger? Or would he be annoying, kind of like my sister was, that I already had experienced in my life? But then I had deeper questions. Would there be a place for me in my dad's new family? Would my dad still love me? When Mary was approached by the angel Gabriel with the news that she'd become the mother of Jesus, the Bible says that she was confused and disturbed. I believe that's got to be one of the understatements of the century. 
She was confused and disturbed. You see, we have to understand here that that this was a a girl that was probably 13 or 14 years old at the time who was being given this announcement that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. I think, first of all, she would have had an OMG moment that an angel was talking to her. As I shared last week, angels were not these little babies playing harps on a cloud eating pudding. But they were these imposing warrior figures that came to bring announcements, but also at times brought the sword of destruction. They were, they were people that, were, that were, could be scary. But second, she was told that she was going to have a baby, but not just any baby. He would be very famous. He would be called the son of God. He would restore for her, which was important, the throne of David. He would reign forever over Israel. His kingdom would never end. His kingdom of peace would never end. I think we have to let that sink in for a moment, that this was pretty exciting and scary all in one moment. You see, we know the rest of the story, those of us who have been around church messages. We understand who Mary is. She is revered in in church history. She gave birth to the Son of God. It's an important thing, but she didn't understand all of that stuff in that moment. She was a 13, 14-year-old girl that was probably kind of going, whoa, what's going on? In fact, we know from her questions, she first of all asked, how is this possible? I've never been with a man. I think even in her mind, she probably was like, well, how am I going to explain this to my family? What am I going to tell them? What would you do if somebody came to you in modern times and says, you know what? I think I'm pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. We'd probably go, you know what? I want to take you to a special doctor that will have a conversation with you. (laughs) Something's not quite right, but... So I'm thinking in her mind, she's like, what's my family going to think? Then she had to go, what is Joseph going to say about this? I mean, we have to understand that Mary was betrothed, or we would call it engagement, but it was different in, in, in the Jewish culture that when somebody was actually betrothed, it actually meant they were, they were in a, in legally married even though they hadn't consummated the marriage yet. And she had to wonder, what would... Would Joseph think? Would he, would he accept this situation? And worse yet, if he got angry or upset, what would really happen to her? Because in Jewish culture, to be caught committing adultery was a crime punishable by death. If, she would, if he reported her to the temple, she would have been taken outside of the city and stoned to death. It was a pretty, pretty, a lot of things that would create some turmoil or chaos. Just think about it if you were in her shoes for a moment. What would happen to me? But here's what is amazing. Even though the messenger was frightening, the message was bizarre, she quickly understood something. She understood who was bringing the message and who was in control. God, the creator and ruler of the universe. He was the one who was involved in all of this. And that is all that she needed to know. And we see that by her response. 
May the Lord's will be accomplished is basically what she said there. You see, peace is not found in what you know, but trusting who is in control. Sometimes we want to know the answers. We want to understand all the things that are going around us in our life. We don't know why that, that, that we're experiencing changes or difficulties or, or, or that, that we're experiencing the, you know, challenges all around us, but we have to understand it's not what you know, it's understanding who's in control. So today as we continue our series, The Greatest Gift, I want to ask you this question. Do you know the Prince of Peace. You see, the child that Mary was about to carry and give birth to had been prophesied about centuries before by the prophet Isaiah. In fact, it says this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and actually when the angel was talking to Mary, he was paraphrasing and quoting this portion of Scripture out of Isaiah because here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. You see, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You see, Mary had a peace that came inside of her, both physically and spiritually. You see, eventually, she carried the baby Jesus inside of her. She carried this young man, of the, this, this baby that eventually would grow into be that who would change the whole systems of the world, that would break the hold of sin and death over all of humanity, that was coming to crush the injustice, the oppression. He was going to break all of these things off of people. She was carrying this, this baby inside of her that that one day that would be what he would do as eventually he would die on a cross in a brutal death so that we could be free and that we could experience the peace of God. Not only was it in her body, but it was in her heart. She had peace in her heart. You see, peace throughout history was a very important concept in the Jewish culture. In fact, many of you have probably heard the Hebrew word for peace many times. It's the word shalom. Or we like to say God is peace, Jehovah Shalom. Now when we look at the word shalom, when we talk about peace, we have to understand that many times the way that, that, that humanity defines peace is this, that it's the absence of war or conflict. That, that somehow that is what real peace is. But that is just such a small part of what the word peace means. That the word peace actually denotes this, listen to this, when you look at it in the Hebrew, it says it denotes a sense of completion or perfection. It's things being made complete or perfect. It denotes well-being and prosperity, the ideal state of affairs. It's, it's, it's being in a realm where everything around you is ideal. Shalom is reconciliation and wholeness within ourselves and with people and with God. When we are confused or divided internally, there is no hope that we can experience this peace. 
Now, in one of the common greetings for a Jewish person to speak to another, which they still do today, would be peace with you. And they would return the salutation also with you. May peace also be with you. But what they were saying was not just some small statement. It was actually this, if I can read this to you, this is the complete statement of what it means. It means, I want you to be whole or complete, reconciled with yourself, reconciled with others, reconciled with God. I want you to know and walk in God's perfect will for your life. I'm asking that you prosper in soul, mind, and body, that all your needs will be taken care of and more. I want your world to be free from chaos, confusion, and brokenness. You see, in third John, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Jesus, or John, wrote this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be good in health as it is well with your soul. That is a declaration of peace. But who here knows that around us and even inside of us many times, we don't experience that peace, that state of perfect affairs. Why? Because we live in a world that is full of chaos and disorder. That when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, what really happened, that their sin released chaos, sickness, and disorder into our world. It impacted everything. You see, before that event happened, there was peace and harmony and unity in the planet. But because of their sin, or can I say this, self-will, peace was broken. You see, all sin, I want to tell you this day, originates out of self-will. What do I want for me? What's best for me? How, I, I want to do what's going to be take care of me, take care of my thoughts, my wants, my needs. And the problem is this, is there cannot be peace where sin or self-will are present. It's impossible. You see, God is peace. God's presence is peace because all things revolve around the will of God in his area. He just lives in a state of constant peace. God rests in heaven in a continual state of peace which is devoid of chaos. You see, chaos does not exist in God's habitation. And our job as followers of Jesus is to bring heaven down to earth. Or to allow God's kingdom of peace to rest in our lives in the midst of this chaotic world. It's like being in the eye of the hurricane. If you ever see a hurricane, it's an amazing thing to watch. These hundreds of kilometer per hour winds, but in the middle of it, there's this place of complete peace. That's what God's habitation is like. And that's what bringing heaven down to earth looks like. It is why in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, that Isaiah says, His being Jesus, government and its peace will never end. You see, Jesus came to bring peace. Jesus came to bring peace in our lives. That the Prince of Peace came to defeat the chaos, brokenness, and disorder in your own world. That he came to defeat sin so that we could experience his peace. This is warfare. Where sin is defeated, there will be peace. 
You see, too many times we think that we can just have peace by getting into a, a Zen state or by meditating a little bit more or by, or by just, you know, just focusing on other things. But the reality of it is, is that we are constantly in a battle within ourselves to determine what is our will versus what is God's will. And there's a great warfare that's inside of us. But in order for there to be peace, and I say this, that there cannot and there will not be peace in our lives and in the people around us until there is surrender to the will of God. (laughs) It's my will or his will. It can't be both. And what is interesting is I know many people that try to live their Christian life and they try to say, you know what, hey, hey, I'm willing to serve God, but there's some things I'm not willing to give up. And I can tell you what, I've never met somebody that's in that state of mind that has peace in their life. Never, not once. Because peace comes from surrendering to God's will. Now that's a hard concept because as people were taught that surrender equals defeat, that if I surrender, I'm losing, I'm not gaining ground. And we have this Hollywood image of, of men that the, 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 the macho man or the strong man or the strong or fierce woman, they never back down to anything, they never give in to anything. And it's one of the biggest reasons, I'm going to say this, that we look in life and places that we have so many broken relationships because there isn't peace because it's self-will versus God's will. And I'm not talking about being a doormat for anybody here today. I'm not talking about the fact that we don't, when it comes to our relationship with others, that we never share our thoughts, our feelings, our opinions. That's not what we're talking about. But when it comes to our relationship with God, victory is achieved by surrendering our thoughts and our opinions and our will to him. Mm. Come on. When we talk about standing our ground, it's not standing our ground, it's standing on his promises. It's standing on his truth, but yielding to the working of the Holy Spirit. I love what it says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. This verse uh, was a little bit of an oxymoron to me for a little bit. It seemed like it was opposing. It said, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You see, if you think, Peace is somehow the absence of conflict or warfare. You, that doesn't make sense. But when you understand that the, the, the reality is this, is that Jesus came to defeat the power of sin. Jesus came to defeat our self-will. He came to defeat those things that have. And once that has been defeated, then there can be peace. Who's getting something out of this here today? God's design for you is that you would walk in his peace. Well, how do we walk in his peace? How do we find peace? How do we live in peace? Well, who here knows there's a lot of places that we can look to that are places that we go to find peace. How many of you like going out into the woods and camping and the, the way that you find some just rest and peace in your own life is you go to the cabin, to the lake. You like it where it's a little bit quiet, That's your idea of peace. God bless you. You know, I'm kind of like my grandmother. She used to say this, Grandma, do you ever want to go camping? She said, yes, I do. It's called uh, staying a night at the Hilton. 
That's my idea of camping. How about for you, your idea of peace is going to like a secluded beach, warm, waves blowing, the wind, you know, and you just got a nice, you know, iced tea, soda, whatever it is, and you're just, you're experiencing peace. Maybe for some of you, it's putting your headphones on, reading a book, forgetting about all the things around you. Maybe it's a hot bath. I don't know what it is, but it's a place that you want to go to. Well, how do we find those places of peace in our life? Well, I want to give you four places that you, want, you need to go if you're going to experience more peace in your life. The first place is the place of worship. You see, worship is a place of surrender, but also a place of warfare. You see, praise and worship help us to put God where he belongs in our life, at the center of everything. You cannot worship God. You cannot sing these songs. You cannot lift your hands. Well, you can try, but but it's very difficult without focusing on the bigness, the goodness, and the greatness of who God is. You see, God has to be at the center The reality of this is that as we go through our lives, it's easy for us to get focused on so many other things, isn't it? Our families, our relationships, our finances, uh, oh man, our jobs, our, uh, you know, there's just so many things that we can think about, but God's saying, no, I want you to put your focus on me. I'm bigger than all of these things. Who here has ever come to church where you were facing something that you felt like was really big in your life. It was just eating at your thoughts. It was, it was like the biggest thing. And as you began to discipline yourself and you began to say, okay, I'm going to try for a moment. I'm going to focus on worshiping God. That all of a sudden as you began to worship him, those problems, those issues, those difficulties got smaller and smaller and smaller as God got bigger and bigger and bigger. See, that's how we gain peace in our life, that we understand that God is bigger. I surrender my will to his will. Mm. But who knows it's a battle to praise God when we're not feeling it. Sometimes we're like, well, God, I've had people say, well, if God wants me to praise him, then he'll, he'll, yeah, he'll just move my heart. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you here something, partner. God's waiting for you to move your, your heart. Then he will move his, his presence into your place. It takes us, it says, James, I didn't even put this into my notes here, but it says in James chapter 4, God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's the truth. Each of us must choose to climb the mountain of worship daily. That's number one. Number two, here's another place where you can find peace. Prayer is a place of surrender, but also a place of warfare. You see, prayer is not only a place where we can hear from God, but a place where we can give our burdens to God. The nice thing about prayer is that it helps us to slow down in our lives and put our focus back on, you know, saying, God, you are in control of every area of my life. Now, I know this when it comes to praying. I'm, I'm like everybody else. In fact, I've got to be honest here that I suffer with a little bit of uh, ADHD. I've got, it's just kind of where I'm at. If you ever talk to me and I can kind of look over here, look over there, it just, my brain goes 100 miles an hour. And so sometimes for me when I'm praying, I mean, I'll also be like, oh, Jesus, you're, hey, man. Did I pay my cell phone bill? 
oh, man, I, gotta, I should take care of that. Oh, I wonder what the score of last night's hockey game was. You know, why now? But it's just the way it works. All of a sudden, it's like, man, I want to find out what the score is. Oh, oh and I wonder, oh, I, I should probably check this over here. And you can start getting distracted. And But prayer, what the challenge is, is that prayer, is God gives us prayer so that we can learn how to focus our heart upon him. Prayer helps us discipline our thoughts. Prayer helps us yield ourselves, submit ourselves, surrender ourselves to the will of God in our lives. My preferred way of praying is to use the Lord's Prayer as a prayer outline. Now when I say this, it's not me just reciting the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I could go through that. I know it. I've said it a hundred times. But really, it's taking that outline of prayer. In fact, for me, a lot of times, I can be in a place where I'm just feeling so much chaos around me. And I begin to enter in and it says, holy is your name, holy is your name. Or God, holy, hallowed be thy name means holy is your name. Really, I'm translating that from an old English word. Holy is your name. And I begin to focus on the different names of God. Who here knows that God has a lot of different names that, he, that he's described it in the Bible? So I start off by saying things like Jehovah. Now, this is going to be a big Hebrew word. Sid Jehovah Sid Kanu. What does that mean? God is my righteousness. And I begin to pray, God, you know what's so cool? I don't feel very righteous right now, but you are righteous, and, and, and I want to put on your righteousness. Today, I put on your righteousness, and I just thank you for your righteousness. And then I go, Jehovah, here's another one, Makadesh, the God who sanctifies, the God who, who restores, who gives back. Lord, I feel like I've given up some ground here, but I know that you're the restoration God, that you return back to us. And then it's like, Jehovah Shalom, yes, God is my peace. And I've watched as I begin to pray these, Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there, you'll never leave us or forsake us. And as I begin to do this, all of a sudden, all that stuff, my focus just gets into in this place of, oh God, thank you. There you are. He, all, he, he was always there, but I wasn't there. See, it's us bringing ourselves to where he's at, heaven down to earth. For peace to manifest itself in our hearts, we must surrender to the bigness, I said this earlier, greatness and goodness of God. Here's the third place that we can find peace. It's in confession. Confession is a place of surrender, but also a place of warfare. Now, if I took a survey here, how many of you like admitting when you're wrong? Man, hands everywhere. We got hands how many of you have learned to, it's just better to admit that you're wrong? This is key to marriage, relationships. It's just good. I'm, I've learned I just admit I'm wrong even if I'm not. It's just a, it's a, it's a good default to, to, to work on. Yes, dear. Yes, that's good. You're right. But the reality of it is, is that nobody likes to admit that they're wrong. We tend to avoid talking about our mistakes or our, our weaknesses. We, we, we don't like to do that. In fact, sometimes we, if we act like if we don't talk about certain issues, it's like they, maybe they don't exist. Maybe you've been in relationships with people where it's just like you just you don't talk about it. 
you get together again and you, you forget that there was that blowout that happened the, the time before. And, it's, and, and the, the problem is, is that the issues and the, the sin that, that, that happen are, are never resolved. They just keep piling up until we are buried in shame or that we become desensitized. Listen to this, here's the two sides. Either we get so guilt-ridden by, by, the, by shame and we get guilt-ridden by, by, by feeling uh, bad about things or we get desensitized to the fact that we, that we have done something wrong that we begin to feel dead inside. It leads to a crowded heart with guilt or strained relationships, either way, there is no peace. You see, there's power in admitting mistakes. There's power in admitting that we have struggles. There's power in confessing that we don't know any things. And, and the first place that we confess is we learn to confess to God. You know, what God sometimes is waiting for us to say to him is, God, I don't know. I don't have the answers to this. I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to help my kid right now. I'm confessing, God, I don't know. And God says, now I can help you. Because now I'm submitting your, my will to your will. It takes great courage to admit that we don't know everything and we might need help. You see, confession requires humility, which is the opposite of pride or self-will. Just this week, I got to say this, I made a confession to my wife. I apologize because I was kind of in a bad spot. I kind of had a bad attitude for a few days. I, I admit it, but I wasn't admitting it for a bit. And here's the truth that, that I've learned in life, a couple things. First of all, sometimes the hardest person to admit that you're wrong to is your spouse, there's a lot of pride that we, we, we deal with. It, it's a challenge. It's, it's something that we got to work on. But here's the truth and what I learned, that what I shared with her was obvious to everybody, not just to her, but to my whole family. It was not a big secret. In fact, it was the pink elephant that was standing in the room. But not only did it bring peace to me, it brought peace to everyone in my family who could already see there was a problem. You see, that's what confession does. It affects more than just you. Here's my last point. I'm going to have Catherine come up here to the keyboard because we're going to begin to close. That obedience is a place where we find peace. It's a place of surrender, but also a place of warfare. Obedience is a sign that we trust God with our lives. We show our trust through our willingness to obey God and his words, to do the right things, to do what he tells us we should do. But who here knows that obedience is not always easy? It's hard to hold our tongue when somebody does something that we don't agree with. It's hard not to complain or criticize when we see things that we don't think are right. It's not easy to constantly guard our hearts when we're watching TV or videos or movies and, and to, to, to not give in to the temptations that are there. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to ask for forgiveness even though we should. And it's not easy to give forgiveness 
when people have hurt us or wounded us badly. It's not easy to reach out to your neighbor because it's not always what you want to do or comfortable. It's not easy to speak that word of truth or encouragement. But every day, we have the opportunity to bring peace into people in places of chaos. You see, I asked the question that I asked early in my message, do you know the Prince of Peace? Is the Prince of Peace ruling in your heart? You see, he's a prince, he's a royalty, he's a, he's a ruler, he's come to bring peace, but it only comes through surrender. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.4, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Where are you living today? Are you experiencing peace? Is the Prince of Peace ruling in your heart? Or are there places in your life? Are there places where you're not surrendering your will to God? You're holding on, you're fighting, and you're wondering, God, how come I don't feel your presence? How come I'm not experiencing more of your peace in my life? And I'm here to tell you that where there is division, where there is conflict, where there is self-will, there will not be peace. Here's what I want us to do. I want us all just to take a few moments. And I want us to ask God, God, are there any places in my heart that I haven't surrendered to you? Are there any things that I'm holding on to that are robbing me from experiencing your peace? And I'm just inviting the Holy Spirit to come and show you. And you just in your own words, we're just going to take a few moments, just begin to pray. Begin to, even if you feel like you need to confess, whatever you need to do, but just let God speak to you. And if he shows you something, give it to him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.